How are you, mate? Good. You're back in Chicago. I'm back in Chicago. I spent the last last couple of days in Texas, actually, and a couple of observations for you about the great state of Texas, Mr. Schulte. One is that my soon-to-be sister-in-law runs one of the biggest food banks in Texas, right, in Dallas. Now, on an average, pre-COVID, they were feeding 700 families a day, just in terms of people that sort of underprivileged families who need to get top-ups from food banks. COVID obviously made that, exacerbated that, and there was 1,400 people per day coming in through the food bank at the height of COVID. And then that number has, that number stabilised throughout most of that time. Now, as of the last eight weeks, they're averaging 4,400 families per day coming in to to receive assistance. And that 200% increase is 100% due to food inflation. We then went to Houston to see one of Courtney's friends there and had dinner with them. Driving in from the airport, there was a massive big billboard on the side of the road saying such and such store, number one place in Texas to buy your suppressor, so your silencer for your pistol. It was a big billboard on the side of the road coming in from the, the airport. So but let's leave that on one side because obviously the tragedy of what we saw earlier uh, yesterday is I have no words. But, but going on to the things we, sort of, we talk about, we're about to enter what I'm going to call a full employment recession, as in people have jobs, but real incomes are, real incomes are collapsing because of high inflation. This example of food banks is a sign that the bottom 70% of income earners or median income earners and below are really struggling with high food prices. And we still have full employment, you know, despite the fact you're seeing hiring slowdowns at tax companies like Snap and Uber and, and all this stuff. Are we about to see a full employment, a full employment recession? We've seen, if you look at inflation break-evens, they've come way down recently, implying that there's a slow growth slowdown or inflation slowdown on the cards. As of, as of this morning, Paul, the, the peak to trough decline in 10-year yields was 50 basis points, so from roughly 325 to roughly 275 to where we are today. I think there's slowdowns going on everywhere. China, we know that story. Europe, we know that story. What are your thoughts about the notion of recession coming? And for me, the implications for equities are clear, i.e., equities that haven't had earnings downgrades and are still at over 17 times forward in the U.S. context is not pricing recession. Yeah, and so what I would say is if we are looking at some of these really quick to digest data points economically, there's a Revelio is a interesting data point for that. They, they have very quick understanding of what's happening with jobs. And according to them, what's happening in April is the number of job postings fell by 2 million to 6.6 in April. So we had basically a 25% drop in April alone. These are very new numbers, right? So I think we are going to get some numbers that are going to be quite sudden. And so that decline is one of the largest declines since the beginning of COVID. And just to give you a sense of what's been going on for the last two years, that number never went plus or minus 5%. And it's uh, 25% in April. So what strikes me, Paul, is that we're talk- you're seeing a lot of people talking about, well, you know, Wall Street can do what Wall Street does and Main Street you know, does what Main Street does. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. That- that's just crap. Because so many people were invested in the market. The-, the retail participation in the market, unfortunately, peaked at the top of the market. And this is what happens all too often that you and I have seen 100 times in the last 30 years. 
the retail investors usually get it in the neck, right at the top of the market. And of course, stock markets are designed to kick you in the teeth at all times. And then they kick you in the stomach when you're lying down. They only ever, when the maximum number of people is in the market, and they only only ever bottom when the minimum number of people is in the market, (laughs) right? They're designed to kick you in the teeth. And so we had retail participation that was in the in the 40s, right? It had gone from like 25 to 40, I believe it was like maybe 44 or 45 in, in a period of two years, rushing into the end of 2021. So you have millions of people who've been cleaned out in equities and also in all the crypto-related stuff. And of course, for all these people who are fairly conservative in 60-40 portfolios, they're all, they've, they've also been cleaned out in their bond portfolios that are down a lot. And so I'm going to say that there's probably 7 to 10 million people who've had a very material drop in wealth from retail participation. And I'm going to say there's another 7 to 10 million people who wanted to retire who are stuck in the mud and are going to have to really pull in their horns in in terms of spending. And this is going to have a cascading effect to the rest of the economy. Not to mention everything you're talking about with China slowing down, Europe slowing down, the the cost of capital going up. And and, and the the Fed's comments yesterday where Mr. Powell used the word pain. You know, when, 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 when the doctor says, this is going to hurt, no, be aware. It means it's really got to fucking hurt, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Normally, says doctors that say, "Hey, look over there. Uh, it's Haley's comet." Then he injects you with a shot, and it's, it's, ah, that was nothing. When the doctor says this is really going to hurt, put this bullet out and bite because this is really going to hurt. Pay attention, right? He used the word pain. If we're going to get you know two fifties, this is going to be a very painful episode, and the market's not ready for this. And, and I think there's going to be a big wealth effect that's slowly creeping in. So all together, I still think we have more to go. Again, you want to watch these head and shoulders formations. I, I, don't, I hate technicals. I don't use them. I've never used them. I think a lot of it's like Rorschach and, and self-fulfilling prophecies. But I'm telling you, man, head and shoulders, it works because it's, it's, it's a dumb thing. It's mean reversion. Yeah. Right. It's just mean that's all it is. And so we have a lot more of that to come. And those are happening in the big caps. I think what's happening is, I think the, the, the mid caps and small caps are probably going to do a big outperformance against the large caps going forward. And then, and then uh, I just read the uh, a big thing went around. Sequoia put out a mega bearish uh, 52 pager, which I got a hold of a couple of hours ago. Pretty good stuff. Pretty good. But just to give you a sense of what's going on with that, let me give you a quickie on their summary. It was basically, we, we know what we're doing. Trust us with your money. We've gone through this before. The number one thing you have to do is, which is, again, not helpful, is you have to live in reality, get rid of the dream, wake up and be ruthless and slash costs. Well, you know, that's, that's, great. that's great if you're the management. It's not great if you're the employees of, uh, of, of, uh, of Sequoia. Fundamentally, it's three messages. Certainty is, uncertainty is going up. The cost of capital is going up. Pay attention. Like I've been, I've been talking about this with you for the last many weeks. Free cash flow yield is everything. Free, free cash flow return on capital is the ultimate number right now. That's all you need to pay attention to. Try to get those accurate numbers on free cash flow yield relative to capital. Again, uh, free cash flow uh, return on capital yield. 
that's going to give you performance right here going into 2023. We know everything they're talking about, pandemic, war, too much QE, supply chain, inflation. You're going to have to slash costs and be realistic because this, this downturn is going to last longer and it's going to take longer to get out of. I don't know where they got that. They didn't prove it. The good news is we've gone from EV to revenues of 12 down to six, which is a like 10-year average. I think we're probably going to go below average. The NASDAQ is down 28, while the unprofessional, sorry, <laughs> unprofessional, Freudian slip, the unprofitable, the unprofitable, whatever the hell it is, the ETF of unprofitable NASDAQ companies is down 64. So uh, a lot of this stuff has been beaten up pretty bad. I think a lot of that is starting to bottom out because what are we seeing? We're seeing something that I talked about with you about, about several weeks ago, and that is looking at stocks that go up on bad news. And you're starting to see the mid caps and small stuff, small caps go up on bad news. And you are also seeing something really important, which is that the large caps are going down on okay, on not so great news. On news that would have not been so important a year ago, everyone is being taken out and shot. This is exactly what I've been talking about with you, what happened in 1974 recession, when Nifty 50 fell apart and everybody was owning the same thing, one after the other on not very interesting news was just taken out and it was going down 20% in one day. This is what happened to all those lovely, dear old darlings. Revlon, Disney, all the tech companies of the old age, right? GE, Polaroid, but they had that really Kodak. high tech. Probably Kodak. <laughs> they were all taken out and shot one after the other, and they all went down somewhere in the order of 60%. But in the meantime, value and free cash flow yield went up, and these guys kept going down all the way into the summer, which is what I expect to happen because guess what? The best seasonality of the year, guess what? We just finished it. <laughs> now the right? bad shit starts. Now the bad stuff starts. Yeah. But it's, interesting. it's interesting you brought up the Sequoia article, which I think is interesting. It's, we'll make sure people can access this place because I think it's very interesting. Because what Sequoia didn't really allude to in the article was obviously how much valuations have to, how much their market to markets have to come down in Q2, right? Because obviously they took about, a, uh, depending on the fund, 15 10 to 20%, roughly median 15, downgrade in valuation in Q1. But given what's happened in tech so far in Q2, that number has to come down another 20 to 25% you know, in, in Q2. That's going to be the real hit to, you know, to pensions, to family offices and the like come, come the end of this quarter. So I think that that's very telling. And look, Matt, I want to go back to this point about employment because one of the things that I was speaking with someone this morning about is the is the notion, are we about to see a large jump in participation as those, particularly those boomers that you alluded to uh, that have, were looking to retire, right? I think you and I actually had this conversation about a year ago saying when all these boomers were retiring and the great resignation was underway, and we're sort of saying, well, what happens if you have a 30% correction in the NASDAQ? How rich do they actually feel? And do they come back to work? Again, that was a hypothetical at the time, but it was, as fate would have it, is precisely what happened. Are we about to see these people come back to work or attempt to come back to work? And what you're going to find is if you have a jump in labour participation, that's going to put a cap on any form of wage inflation, right? You've talked a lot about in recent weeks about the power of the worker over 
the, the labour share of GDP effectively rising over capital and the reinvigoration of union movements and the like. But suddenly, if you have a, an increase in boomers who are planning on going back to work because that idea of an ideal retirement, well, that worked with NASDAQ 15,000 and it doesn't work NASDAQ sub-12. And obviously, the hit to bond portfolios, the average 60-40 portfolio has lost at least 20% of its value this year, depending on where you are. Do we see a rise in participation again? Do we see those boomers coming back? I have one question for you. You tell me what in the hell a 66-year-old woman who has not worked for three years is going to do an economy that has chronic, persistent, and illegal age discrimination. Tell me what she's going to do, Paul. It's a good question. It's a great no, no, Paul, it's a very, 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 very valid point. Very, very valid point. But I feel it. I do a lot of teaching around the world, and I've taught in five continents and like 14 universities. I love it. I'm comfortable. I like what I do, so I keep doing it. I applied for nine positions, nine teaching positions, seven of which were in Singapore, and I didn't even get a call back. And I've taught in 14 universities on five continents. And for, they're, for virtual, an they're all virtual positions. In fintech? August, the stuff I've written books about, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've written four books, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not even getting a call back. So this is what's happening from anybody in their, in their late 40s or 50s who was heading toward that golden era where the guy who was, or the woman who was the CEO was between 54 and 57. And all of a sudden, in the last five to seven years, that has collapsed down to the average age of a CEO now is like 39, 40. Right. So everybody who's racing toward mid-50s to get that dream position has suddenly been made redundant. And fine, if you are hungry and you cannot feed yourself, you good. Go to Home Depot and work in the gardening department for $11 an hour. Good luck. Have fun. Right? You're going to get a smock and a name tag, and you probably won't even get any training. And you're not going to get any health insurance, by the way. So that's what you're up against. You can work on a retail level as a cashier. But the rest of the economy is not prepared for anybody coming back over the age, I even think it would be low, over the age of 58, coming back into the economy for work. And so I think that's really, really fair. I think think two years out of the job market for a 30-year-old is justifiable. It's dog years if you leave two years in your mid-50s. Your time decay, to use a market phrase, your failure is pretty darn high when you're over the age of 55 if you're out of the markets. I think that's pretty disgraceful, but that's the deal. These people can rely on Social Security. That's $750 or $800 a month. You can get air conditioning and a sofa and a, maybe a small TV and have Netflix, and that's about it. And maybe you have to watch when your food costs are, are going to go sky high. I think that the labor market is going to be fairly sticky for a while. One of the things I want to talk to you about today, which I think is really important, the Federal Reserve published a report on Monday. And it said basically that the, this is something I've been talking about for a long time, but I, I, I was accused of being a communist, so I stopped talking about it. And that is the cartelization of the U.S. economy is causing inflation to be increasingly sticky. In other words, you have fewer and fewer companies who are dominating individual industries, which is causing two things. One, it causes tremendous supply problems if one of these companies has a problem. Abbott with baby food, right? One company in a cartelized industry has a problem with bacterial contamination in its, in its machinery, and you suddenly have a national baby formula problem. Mm-hmm. Increasingly, the cartelization of the U.S. economy is greater than at any time in many, many decades. And the Fed concluded this is uh, one of the reasons why we are seeing um, such sticky high inflation. 
critically important point. The runaway Ayn Rand, get what you can and get a lot of it and profits be damned. Let's go for it. And to hell with regulation. This is what you get. You get cartelization, sticky prices, price fixing in any way you can, trying to make it legal. This gets you your very sticky high inflation. And so today, the CBO came out with a report. I was talking to a client that you know today as well. And this CBO report was pretty damning. It said, we're going to have inflation that's going to probably end up being north of 4.5% next year and could be down to 2% only in 2024. So we're looking at no let up in inflation uh, for 2023 from the Congressional Budget Office. And this is a problem because the Fed, if the Fed wants to stick to its we found Jesus moment about inflation, they're going to be raising rates for quite a long time here. Well, Paul, it gets back to the very, very basic point, right? Can or does the Fed continue to raise rates if there are growing signs of demand destruction, i.e., we're heading towards a recession, if we're heading towards that hard landing that seems inevitable, because again, the Fed slams on the brakes historically, it leads to hard landings, the, the data is undeniable. Are they going to continue to raise rates even in the face of demand destruction, i.e. anecdotal evidence that the, the inflation that they can control has been defeated? Right? There's supply-side inflation, there's demand-side inflation. Fed can control demand-side, can't control supply-side. If you have a recession, do you believe they continue to raise rates? I think, as we mentioned, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I, I think the Fed's credibility is so badly dented that they do a U-turn, they're going to be in deep, deep trouble with credibility. So I think what they're going to say is, just to give the market some reprieve, when it starts to get bad, they're going to say, as and when we see that the economy is deteriorating, we can aggressively lower rates. But there's no way in hell they're going to go from tightening to easing. Because they just poured three gallons of rum in the punch, punch bowl, in front of everybody. And they were drinking it and testing it while they were pouring the rum in to completely taking the punch bowl away. And now they're saying no one's going to get anything for two years. And then, oh, here's some more rum right off the bat. So, no, there's no way they're going to do a U-turn. And by the way, just to remind everybody, 25 basis points without any up until the last rate increase, up until that point of the last rate increase a few weeks ago, we had a $7 trillion wipeout in market capitalization in the NASDAQ alone, never mind the Dow and the S&P. And that was due to a 25 basis point increase and no change in the, Fed, in, in the, 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 the value of the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve. That was a 25 basis point increase and no change in the value of the Fed. And that was a $7 trillion wipeout in market cap. Now, of course, equities are a discounting mechanism, but come on. I'm telling you right now, if they want to shrink the balance sheet back down to pre-COVID levels, you're going to have a wipeout in the housing market. And that is what one client pointed out to me. The biggest threat to the private equity is not their technology investments. It's their housing investments. The private equity firms are very heavy into housing. Remember how much these guys were buying up entire blocks all so over Black, the country. Black, Black, Rock, Black Rock owns half of Jersey City. Yeah. Right, in, ter- you know, in terms of, in terms of, multi, in terms of multifamily apartment buildings. Mate, before we go, I, I want to talk about something we didn't get to talk about, which, again, speaking of wealth destruction, about $60 billion worth of wealth destruction, is Luna and Terra in regards to that, deba- that debacle. The death of crypto, the... An awakening for crypto? Do the cooler heads prevail? I mean, 
Mike Novogratz got a hard time doing a tattoo, but when Mike comes out in a very measured way and says, "That's this is a very valuable lesson to me and I'll be more sensible about because of this experience, haven't heard that from many people. And I think, you know, Mike should be congratulated on his on his candour and his honesty because he's he's that sort of guy. But people are going to learn lessons from this. People are going to realise that if, you know, receiving 20, receiving 20% for free, maybe not be for free. Talk a little bit about the future of stablecoin and, and where you think this is all headed. So listen up. So listen here. This is what I got to say about this. Even worse, the guy in Korea is even completely more unapologetic. And I was. Has he even spoken? Dow Kwan, isn't it? It's Dow, I think it's yeah. Dow Kwan. Is that his name? Has he even spoken? Like, like, he's gone. Oh, um, no, he's, he's, he's completely doubled down. He's going to reinvent it. He's going to bring it back. And guess what happened? It went up 50%. It went up 50% in one day's trading. It went from, Paul, listen to me. It went from like 0. 0.0008 cents. So I, I, I did a very careful calculation of that. It was one one hundredth of a penny. And it went up 50% in trading. So this is good. He's getting somewhere. So this guy is just doesn't know what the hell he's doing and has no understanding of markets. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is, I think what's happening is a classic you know, devaluation of the Thai bot. What was going on? And again, these things are currencies, right? You, 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 had, a, you had a crypto asset against the dollar. And these crypto assets were very overvalued and the dollar was very undervalued and the dollar was going up. The dollar went from 95 to 104 and these other ones were, were way overvalued. And so there was a devaluation and the devaluation without any, any backing, without any central bank reserves, right? These, this, these guys had no reserves. They go to zero. It's very much like what happened with the Thai bot and, and many other currencies in Asia in 1998 when, when the dollar was very strong. These, when these currencies that were overvalued went, they went down by 50, 70. The Indonesian rupiah went down 90, right? It went yeah. from 2,000 to 25,000. And so you've had a classic devaluation. You should be thinking of it in terms of devaluation, but without any sort of statutory reserves backing it. And so these things go to zero. And so this whole stablecoin thing has been blown out of the water. Regulation essential now? No, I don't think so. I think outlawing is going to come back again because I, I, I you know Christine Lagarde said it's all worth zero and she was not talking that way a year ago. Other people in the U.S. government are, are talking about outlawing it rather than regulating it. And, and the, regu- the regulation language was coming in for the last year, quietly, quietly, slowly. Gary Gensler was toying with that. Now we're back to, we're going to get these guys and, and, and we're going to see who we can nail in terms of fraud or conspiracy. Mm. Well, it's better. I remember you going back to the point about the Fed white paper on all of this. And it's basically saying how the Fed was determined for the digital dollar to be a money center bank dominated product. And I think we're seeing a, a continual pushback against the crypto industry in support of conventional of conventional banking. And if anything, this is just going to amplify that that push. Probably, probably. That's right. I think that's right. I think, I think you're right. How's your week look? I'm getting ready for a trip to go see clients all over the place. And I'm going to go and see clients in Toronto. And I'm going to be going to Collision in a few weeks. Collision is really the big, big conference of the year for everything. Technology, uh, finance. It's like the Milken Conference times 10. It's in Toronto. I'll be at that for a week coming up, and we'll see what 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 there is to see there. What are you? Uh, what are you in Toronto? Toronto coming in on like the fifteenth or something like that. 
Got it, got it, got it. I'm there on June 1st. I'm there on June 1st for a Market Huddle podcast event, so which will all be a bit of fun. So, Mr. Schulte, always a pleasure. We will do this again next week. Okay, cool. Good. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Great stuff. Always. Thank you. <laughs>